From VinePair's New York City headquarters, this is End of Day Drinks, where we sit down with the movers and shakers in the beverage industry. So pour yourself a glass and listen along with us. Let's start the show. On today's episode of End of Day Drinks, we're talking to Jason Murphy, the Beverage and Innovation Manager of Buffalo Wild Wings, more affectionately known as B-Dubs. We'll talk with Jason about how Buffalo Wild Wings became the largest purveyor of craft beer in the on-premise world, as well as the innovations they have planned post-pandemic. We're also going to chat a little bit about hard seltzer and why the brand is so gung-ho at adding tap wines. And finally, we'll talk to Jason about what he thinks craft means. Let's start the show. Hi there, this is Tim McCurdy, staff writer at Vinepair, and welcome to the End of Day Drinks podcast. Joining us today, we have Jason Murphy, Beverage Innovation Manager at Buffalo Wild Wings. Hello, Jason. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And as always, I'm joined by my wonderful colleagues on Vinepair's editorial team, including Vinepair co-founder Adam Teeter. What's up, Tim? Hey, Jason. We also have executive editor Joanna Sharina. Hi, everyone. Senior editor, Kat Wilinski. Hi, Jason. How are you? And associate editor, Katie Brown. Hey, guys. What's up? And of course, we have VinePair tastings director and all-round star, Keith Beavers. Hey, Keith. Tim? (laughs) Jason? (laughs) Tim, Jason, what's going on? That was a good introduction. So Jason, really great to have you with us today. And, you know, what can we say about Buffalo Wild Wings? You guys have more than a thousand locations nationwide. You sell more draft beer than any other restaurant in the country. And, you know, more than any other sports bar or restaurant, you place an incredible focus on craft beer. And, you know, maybe most importantly, your tagline is Wings Beer Sport. And as beverage innovation manager, you're in charge of the beer. So uh, no pressure there. Yeah, there's definitely worse jobs that that can be had. Uh, I'm I'm pretty lucky in what I get to do, that's for sure. And, you know, before we dive into your work at B-Dubs, and by the way, are we allowed to call it B-Dubs? Sure. Yeah, that's good. Is that what you call it? That's easier for the flow. Yes, yeah, I call it B-Dubs. Uh, a lot of people call it BW3s, and that was like a decade ago. We, we've Whoa. transitioned to, to Buffalo Wild Wings or B-dubs. Interesting. Nice. BW3s? What's yeah, that? so back in the day, it was Buffalo Wild Wings and Weck. And oh. I guess Weck is like a hot beef sandwich that's dipped in au jus. I'm not very familiar with it, but that was like one of the two things that we served was a Weck sandwich. And we... Wow. No, no longer serve Weck sandwiches. So we're just beat ups. We're just Buffalo Wild Wings. Whoa, whatever happened to the Weck? <laughs> no Topic for another podcast, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. TBD. <laughs> but Jason, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about beer before we talk about your work at B-Dubs because, you know, you're a certified Cicerone and I believe beer is somewhat in your blood. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've been working in the beer industry for a while, but... Uh, my dad spent 40 years working at Coors Brewery in Golden. He started when he was 18, retired when he was 58. So, yeah, I, I've truly been around beer my entire life. That's incredible. And then, so, yeah, you, you know, your position at, at Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, speaking about it, this, this is a really important uh, role in America's beer industry when it comes to, you know, like on-premise serving. Can, can you Can you tell us about 
how one goes about getting a role such as that? Oh, man. Uh, I guess I just drank a lot of beer and, and was good at drinking beer. Um, no, uh, so I, I had worked um, kind of, you know, growing up through college, I, I had worked at a couple different um, brew pub chains, uh, Gordon Beersh and then Milwaukee Ale House, and, you know, just kind of served and bartended to get through college, but uh, just spent a lot of time learning beer from brewers and people who are really passionate about it. Um, graduated college and happened to, uh, was able to get a job at a, a company called, uh, old Chicago or a restaurant chain called old Chicago. Um, and they're a, a regional chain. They've got about a hundred locations across the country, but they're known for, uh, what they call their world beer tour, which is they have anywhere from 30 to 40 beers on tap, but they've also got 80 to 90 beers in a bottle cooler And the world beer tour is drinking 110 different beers and it's just kind of their loyalty program you get credit for every beer you try and you can only drink four per visit but anyways i got to work for that chain um, and run their bar program for a while and they're you know very big into craft beer and craft beer education and getting people kind of on their craft beer journey i uh, did that for about five years uh before I had the opportunity to work for buffalo wild wings and you know run the largest draft beer program in the country so Kind kind of cut my teeth there, and and one thing that I will always uh, tell people is my claim to fame of how I started to learn about beer is I did complete my old Chicago World Beer Tour, my 110 different beers <laughs> before I turned 21. So don't ask a lot of questions about that. <laughs> oh, oh man, man. <laughs> I love it. Well, so wait, I have a question, uh, Jason. This is Adam um, from Vine Pair here. Uh, so are you in charge of buying for all of the Buffalo Islands? Like how does your role actually work? Do you have people in each region that are buying? Cause I think one of the things that's pretty amazing about Buffalo wild wings uh, is that the craft beer is different at every location. Right. Mm-hmm. So like every place I've been, when I've been to a Buffalo wild wings, you, you really do. Obviously you have some of the bigger players that are sort of your standards at some of the places. I'm curious how that works too. But then what I've always been impressed by is like, you'll have a few draft lines that are like the local brewery or as close to a Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, a brewery that's as close to Buffalo Wild Wings as possible. So how are you guys pulling that off? Yeah. So that's probably one of the the cooler, but also more challenging aspects about uh, the beer program for Buffalo Wild Wings is we've got uh, right around 1,250 restaurants. We've probably got over 1,300 different beer buyers in our company. Uh, if you If you include every single restaurant, We've got general managers at every single restaurant who are making decisions on beer. Uh, the district managers they report to are making decisions. The franchisees, uh, we're about 50-50 split company and franchise owned. Uh, our franchise owners are making decisions and they've got uh, you know corporate offices where they've got a beer buyer in their offices who are making decisions. So uh, th- there's a ton of different layers on who's making decisions at beer from my level, because yeah, I do make decisions on what's going to be on tap uh, all the way down to the location level, because uh, we realize that uh, local beer and the brewery down the street from a Buffalo Wild Wings is super important to that local beer drinker. So we want to make sure that they have decision-making power to bring on those taps. But uh, from where I sit, um, when I came on board Buffalo Wild Wings about three and a half years ago, uh, the beer program was very national mandated. All the beer selections that came down from the company office were in every Buffalo Wild Wings everywhere. The one change that I made when I started was we started going state by state. Um, so I build out a mandate list uh, or a, a re- required tap list for all of our locations down to the state level. 
Um, mm. And the only reason it's state level is because that's the lowest I can go by myself. So I do build out a, a required tap list for uh, all 50 states. I do split up California into two, Northern and Southern California. Um, but so that that's how deep I can go from my level is, is state by state to make sure that we've got you know, the right brand for the right guest at, at that level. That's so cool. Um, this is Katie, by the way. I have a question for you because I know that you're you're from Denver, right? Or you're living in yes. Denver? Yeah, bo- so, born and raised in Denver and, and still here. That's awesome. So I'm currently living in Colorado too, and I've just cool. been so enjoying kind of the local beer scene here. And so I was wondering, do you have some favorite local Colorado beers that you make sure are in like all the restaurants here? Oh, that's a good question. So yes, I do. I've also got some local favorite Colorado beers that uh, I can't get in Buffalo Wild Wings yet just because they're not big, big enough to distribute yet. But um, yeah, I, I'd say, obviously, the the staples around Colorado that, that you'd expect to hear, uh, New Belgium and Odell are definitely two of my favorite breweries. Um, of course, I love to yeah. visit those breweries whenever I can. One of my favorite up-and-coming breweries that does distribute is Service Area Colorado. They're a... Uh, uh, a subbrewery from Denver Beer Co. Uh, they're fairly new on the market within the last couple of years, but but Service Area Colorado uh, takes uh, great makes great craft beers with a Hispanic or a Mexican twist to them, uh, and and they make some of my favorite flavors that you can get in in the Denver beer market right now. So that's one of my favorites that we've made sure we have on tap. Uh, Crooked Stave, which is one of the leading sour breweries in the country, uh, but is also local to Denver. Uh, they have some tap handle presence. Uh, not only in Colorado, but uh, in some other states as well. Uh, and then just personally, uh, I spend a lot of time out at tap rooms enjoying other people's beers. So uh, New Image is one of my favorites out of Arvada, Colorado, uh, Cerebral out of Denver, Outer Range out of Frisco. So yeah, I, I spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, when I'm not working in beer. I spend a lot of time enjoying it in different ways. We love Cerebral here. They were um, among some of our top uh, beer lists last year. And I'm always excited to try what they have. This is they do awesome stuff. I, I love those guys. And Crooked Stave, we actually get a little bit. Um, this is Cat, by the way, Cat Walensky, um, resident beer geek. <laughs> and nice. um, we do get some Crooked Stave here, but I do miss being able to travel and like to go to Denver for the Great American Beer Festival and all of that. So it's cool to hear about these new brands. Like you mentioned, um, the one with a sort of Latin American slant. Do you find that Mexican lagers or Mexican style lagers are getting really big um, either in your area or just like across the B-dubs footprint? Because we find that they're, it's just like increasingly popular to see these sort of like, you know, riffs on the Tecates and Coronas of the world. Yeah. Mexican lagers do great for us. The Modelo, Corona, Dos Equis. Uh, they, they do some pretty great sales for us, not only just because they're extremely sessionable beers that you can enjoy while you're watching a football game and eating some hot wings, but, uh, also you just, I, you find a lot of guests or on-premise drinkers kind of trading up because they've got a little bit of a premium cachet attached to them. So, uh, we do, we do a great job with those import Mexican lagers, but that's one of the reasons why I am excited about breweries like service area colorado uh out of denver four corners out of uh texas is because i think that's uh, a very unexplored area of 
craft beer is how can you blend these natural Hispanic flavors that we all love to enjoy in our food so much and is, is making its way to cocktails and is proliferating cocktails but hasn't really made its way into craft beer yet. Um, I think that's a, a really exciting area that's kind of untapped in the craft beer market. But uh, there are some breweries out there that are trying it and making some pretty good stuff. What kind of flavors are you referring to? Like agua fresca type stuff or... Oh, I mean, so the the one, and and I know that's it's a very standard flavor, but you don't see much of it in craft beyond um, maybe being expressed from actual hops and hop flavor. But mm. uh, their main flavor at Survey Area is a pineapple blonde. But they've also got a, a pineapple, or not a pineapple, a, a poblano chili pilsner um, that's really good. Uh, I believe they've infused some mole into some of their beers, which is really good because you get that chocolate from the mole into some of the beers. So. Uh, just those flavors that you would, you would expect to see when you, when you dine in a traditional Mexican restaurant are starting to express themselves in some, in some beers and I've been pretty impressed by a lot of it. Very cool. Is that what Mexican style means? Just like the, 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 you're trying to impart some of the flavors of the Mexican cuisine into beer, or is it more about the kind of Mexican style that we're used to that, that I drink during karaoke? Uh, I, I would say more of the stuff that you're used to trying in food is the stuff that you're saying. Like, uh, I, I'm sure I'm scrolling through their, their menu right now. They've got a horchata blonde ale, uh, at Cerveza area, Colorado, a churro stout, a chocolate chili churro stout. So churro uh, stouts. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So, so some of that stuff that you, you would expect to see when you're dining out and enjoying Mexican cuisine is making its way into beer. That's awesome. How much in figuring out your which taps um, to pick goes into like um, pairing with men the menu? That's a good question. Uh, it's definitely considered. The most important thing to me, though, uh, is making sure. So we've got, uh, on average, we've got about 30 handles and all Buffalo Wild Wings. And the, the most important thing to me is making sure that of those 30 handles, they represent a wide variety of styles. So mm -hmm. a, a lot of times you'll go into a tap room and they'll have 30 handles and they've got, you know, 10 pale lagers, 10 IPAs, five wheat beers, maybe a couple ambers, a stout, a cider, and you're done, right? There's not a whole lot of differentiation there. It's, you know, which one of these IPAs do I want to drink? And uh, that doesn't mean we're not going to have a good mix of IPAs and pale lagers uh, because that's what sells well. But uh, I think the one thing that it's, is easy to lose sight of is when you have a 30 handle tap system, it is a fact that you're going to have a number one seller and a number 30 seller and everything in between. You're never going to get away from having a 30th seller or a worse seller, no matter how hard you try. So what we've been trying to do over the last few years is make sure that we're optimizing that draft system so that we're moving a lot of volume out of our best sellers, which is going to be those pale loggers and IPAs, and really optimizing the back end of the draft system to have to allow for different styles that maybe you wouldn't expect from a Buffalo Wild Wings. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Of course. Cool. I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> when I interviewed for the job of Buffalo Wild Wings four years ago, um, I, the, one of the things I said in my interview is all I want to do is drink a fucking Saison at a Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes. Saison's um, <laughs> are personally my favorite style. Love Saison. Sorry. Yeah. It's personally one of my favorite style, but they're such a good beer to pair with so many different flavors, especially when you've got 30 different wing sauces on the menu. Um, <sighs> but so, you know, that's one of the things. So you could say that, yes, I'm considering how do you pair beer and food together when I'm building the list. But really what I'm trying to do is 
build a pretty varied assortment of beer styles and types on our menu so that I don't really have to worry of, of like force fitting pairing and, um, and beer styles onto our menu. It should just kind of naturally happen because that's just what we have because we've got a good style selection to begin with. Mm. So Jason question for you. And I'm sure then, uh, I'm sure Tim will have a question afterwards. It's probably similar to mine. So I'm going to build on Joanna's, but um, I know that Tim probably has a, a a question. He, he probably has been wanting to ask that is going to be similar, but about another style that, that's all the rage, but I would love to know in terms of building um, the beer program, how much you're looking at data and trends. So for example, like, do you have a ton of hazies on your lists across the country just because hazy IPA is all the rage? And does that cause you to, phase out more west coast style ipas or like if you see that i don't know pilsners are taking off do you add more of those or more like session ipas or do you not look at data at all um when it comes to sort of building the the beverage program yeah that's that's a good question um i did not know when i graduated college that i was going to be a data geek but that's basically what i've become over the last eight years and that was kind of uh instilled into me by a former boss at, at old chicago as we were uh, you know, building the program out there and going location by location on, on building beer lists. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, my job's probably about 70% science-based and 30% art. Um, and that's really trying to make sure that not only am I understanding what does the Buffalo Wild Wings guests want or what are they currently drinking, but what else is happening in the marketplace. Um, we're a little bit behind the curve in getting, uh, bringing craft beer fans into Buffalo Wildlings. And mm-hmm. I think it's just because they don't know that we have a really good selection of craft beer, but I want to make sure part of, of building that, you know, varied assortment to make sure that we've got a, a wide variety of styles is uh, I want to make sure that when somebody comes into a Buffalo Wildlings, maybe they're not a Buffalo Wildlings fan or, you know, their friend drug them there for uh, a fantasy draft party. And that's the only time of year that they visit. Like I want to make sure that they're wowed by the beer list and the styles and the, the actual brands that are on tap. And a lot of that comes with uh, from paying attention to data. Um, mm-hmm. So following internal data, uh, we use a third-party company called Beerboard to manage uh, a lot of our velocity. So I look at a lot of what they do. But then other industry sites, um, Nielsen CGA, Technomic, um, Beer Business Daily, Brewbound, all of those um, you know different data sites or news aggregators. I, I spend a lot of attention to. But mm-hmm. you know as the art side of it comes from the fact, you know, I said I spent a lot of times in tap rooms. Like I, I try to, you know, stay hip with the kids and, and make sure I know what they're, and make sure I know what they're drinking. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do like to, you know, spend time trying out different styles and brands and breweries and things like that to make sure that I'm at least uh, trying to round out my knowledge from beers all across the country. Because when you're trying to run a local beer program in 50 states and, you know, 1200 units across the country. It's tough, but uh, somebody's got to drink all the beers. Yeah. Does that mean you're also adding um, hard seltzers to your beer list? Yes. So hard seltzers were hard seltzers. We kind of tiptoed into, um, and still we've kind of only tiptoed into it. And a lot of that had to do with some of the changes that uh, COVID brought upon our business and the you know dining re- restrictions that we have of, of what people can and can't do inside our restaurants right now. But uh, moving into, I guess we are in the 2021, moving more into 2021 <laughs> when we begin to make some changes, um, you'll start to see a lot more seltzers end up on our mandated tap list um, and, and package list. So 
Uh, I, I envision very soon a world where we have at least one hard seltzer on tap in every Buffalo Wild Wings, if not two. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, anywhere from four to eight different packaged hard seltzers in our bottle cooler to allow um, guests the ability to kind of choose their favorite flavors. Because when you go into a, a liquor store to purchase hard seltzers, it typically comes in a variety pack. And I know from experience and from talking to friends, there's, you know, one or two flavors that you really like and one or two that you don't. And so you drink the one or two flavors and the other one or two either end up in the back of the fridge or uh, a pile in your basement that you end up giving to your parents. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on premise, we can curate those flavor, those best flavors for you. You don't have to buy a variety pack. So I think that's something that really intrigues me as we look at hard seltzers moving into the future. So awesome. Jason kind of sticking with both of those themes when it comes to trends and also hard seltzer and, and a really hard seltzer on tap. This is actually something, you know, we've, we've kind of had a conversation about between us before, but I wonder whether you could share, you know, this idea when it comes to hard seltzer on tap, right? So hard seltzer as a phenomenon, people probably love it because, or, or one of the reasons people like it because they know exactly what's in it. They know what's in a poor size, what's in 12 ounces of their favorite brand. So, so how uh, in the on-premise, how are you going to uh, recreate that experience when it comes to serving tap seltzer? Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it hasn't really made its way enough into the on-premise yet where it's been standardized that everyone's doing the same thing. Uh, but I think I've started to, I'm starting to see enough of it where I'm getting some ideas of, of where to go. So um, we're going to pour our hard seltzer draft in a 12 ounce Collins glass, um, which, you know, that Collins glass kind of uh, replicates a little bit that uh, feeling of a sleek can or a slim can that uh, drinkers are used to. We're not pouring over ice. We're pouring just straight draft into um into the glass. Uh, what really interests me, I've seen a, a couple different places that I've been out to is nucleation in the bottle at the bottom of the glass that just kind of, you know, keeps the agitation at the bottom of the glass and helps that appearance. So it differentiates itself a little bit more from uh, still water, soda water. So um, I think that could be important. Um, we haven't necessarily gotten to where we're going to go with garnishes yet or um, where we're going to go mm -hmm. with hard seltzer cocktails. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an area that interests me. I think for us being a, a national chain, um, for us to do a cocktail, we probably have to find a national hard seltzer that we would mandate on tap, which isn't too far-fetched to believe that we might be doing that sometime soon. Um, but so that, that could be an avenue. But the, the garnishes really interest me. What, what I think we need to do, though, or what the industry needs to do is Typically, that kind of stuff is led by the supplier who's putting the product out there, like mm -hmm. Corona led with putting a lime in a Corona, Blue Moon with led, led with putting an orange on a Blue Moon Belgian White. I think it'll be one of the um, hard seltzer producers, whether it's uh, White Claw or Truly or Bud Light or a, another one that's that's in the market, uh, trying to say, hey, or, you know, putting their their flag in the ground and saying, yeah, this is how we want you to present our hard seltzer on draft. It's just so new yet. I don't even think mm -hmm. the suppliers have a point of view yet. Um, at least from my conversations, uh, nobody seems to be passionate kind of one way or the other. Um, and so it'll be nice once somebody you know says, no, this is how you do it. Um, and then everybody kind of follows suit. But for, for now, I feel pretty confident in, you know, that the Collins glass, no ice, uh, 12 ounce pours that are very similar to what uh, you're used to, the experience you're used to getting when you open a can. 
So I, I had a, this is Keith, by the way. Um, I had a question about going, kind of going back to the whole pairing thing. I just kind of want to know, like, you know, do you have, like, what would you pair? Because I know that, you know, all you want is a fucking Saison. And, yeah. like, <laughs> what would you pair with your fucking Saison? Like, like, if you, like, 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 the listeners out there, like, what would, you know, what would he do when he's there? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, so what I would pair are a Saison with right now. So we did, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but we did just put Saison uh, DuPont in all of our restaurants uh, starting last March. Um, so you should be able to go into most of your Buffalo Wild Wings right now and get a Saison DuPont. Oh, uh, and, my yeah. God. Yeah, that's pretty cool, That's right? insane. Yeah. You wouldn't expect Legendary. to get Legendary. What? Yeah, you wouldn't Whoa. expect to get that out of Buffalo Wild Wings, but now you can. Um, nice. uh, I, I would, so, and then a, a, another thing a lot of people probably don't realize is we, about a year and a half ago, uh, launched a new line of hand-breaded chicken and hand-breaded chicken sandwiches. Uh, and the chicken tenders and the uh, chicken breasts uh, for the sandwiches are hand battered and fried to order. So we're not bringing in kind of these, these frozen hand battered uh, nice. chicken patties or, nice. or chicken fingers. We, we make these to order um, and they're absolutely delicious. I would probably pair the our southern chicken sandwich, uh, which is better than all the other southern chicken sandwiches that you can nice. get at any fast food restaurant. Uh, with with a saison dupont uh, because uh, your the the pepperiness that you're going to get in that um, oh and I should say when they're uh, that we use uh, beer batter so we do pour nice. colch into the beer batter and we make our oh. beer batter fresh daily so in addition to being hand breaded to order we also make the beer batter fresh daily which I don't think people give Buffalo Wild Wings enough credit for but there it is um, I would pair. Uh, one of our hand-breaded chicken sandwiches or, or the hand-breaded chicken tenders with uh, a Saison DuPont because the pepperiness that you're going to get in the fresh hand batter uh, and then on the Southern chicken sandwich, kind of the tanginess from the pickle is going to pair really well with the Saison DuPont. So nope. uh, Southern chicken sandwich, Saison DuPont, go get it now. I'm going to, yeah, I'm oh going to like, oh, guys, peace. <laughs> I'm vegetarian and that sounded good to even me. So. <laughs> we did, we just put, I, there's, there's controversy over this term. I'm, I probably shouldn't say that, uh, but uh, we put cauliflower wings on the menu. So uh, you can try the cauliflower wings with the Saison DuPont. I'm down with that. You got to have them. That's what that. <laughs> gotta have the cauliflower wings <laughs> yeah yeah there's a buffalo wild wings really close to my uh apartment in brooklyn but i moved to my apartment in brooklyn very soon like right before the pandemic so i will have to go once it's over and everything reopens i'm currently uh, searching and try all that stuff nice. hit me oh, up yeah. when you go adam <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do a vine per adding we'll tell him that uh jason sent us in the drinks drawn him <laughs> yeah hey, that works for me Dude. So, so Jason, I mean, I we, we've had this sort of thesis um, for a few years now. I, I wrote a piece about it a long time ago, prior to when any other people were even working at Vine Pair. Um, <laughs> well, besides Keith, what up, Keith? Um, that's why I like Tim forgetting you. One of the things that I've always like thought, uh, and I think you might have disproved me in your comment earlier, but, but I'm, I'm curious is I kind of feel like you guys are responsible for introducing more people to craft beer than anyone else in America. Whoa. And, and I know that that's like a very intense, uh, you know, 
claim, but I actually think it's true, right? If you if you look at the amount of Buffalo Wild Wings out there and the fact that you guys are the largest buyer of craft beer in America, uh, and as you said, a lot of people are just show up at a Buffalo Wild Wings because their friends brought them along. Maybe they've never, they've never had craft beer before, like, and now they have it for the first time. Do you think that that's an accurate uh, statement or, or am I being real aggressive? No, I'd, I'd say that's that's pretty true. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, our, our size and scale and the fact that, you know, we, we do operate in all 50 states, but we've always had a good complement of, you know, 25 to 30 tap handles in, in most of our locations. And, um, you know, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light are great sellers for us. And, you know, they, they're really great beers for uh, the right occasion. Um, but then, you know, we've also had some really great craft partners too. Uh, Boston Beer and Sam Adams, Blue Moon. Um, you know, Blue Moon is a, a really good craft beer with some really cool roots to it. And a story that I don't think gets enough credit, but uh, it's a it's just a great craft beer that's enjoyable to drink but also you know the, the on-premise is just made for sampling and kind of discovery and learning about different beer styles in, in a way that you know the off-premise isn't because there's no uh commit there's not as much commitment to ordering one pinter at all um and i think that's what's so great about and fun about building an on-premise beer program is you do have the opportunity to experiment with some different things and uh, you know, be first to market with products and play around with different styles and different brands at different breweries um, because the guest is going to, the guest is interested in exploring and uh, discovering new things while they're out. Um, I think that's kind of the interesting thing about working um, with some of, you know, my on-premise um, supplier reps is, you know, they'll pitch beers to me that, you know, it, it may not be their number one or two seller because they don't do as well in the on-premise. Um, and they're open and honest about that and knowing that, you know, this is my number three or four selling beer overall as a brewery, but as an on-premise consumer, like this is what we want to sell because this is what we want to trial new beer drinkers on. Or if you're a fan of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, Adam's Brewery, um, I want to get this beer out here cause it's our new release and everybody's already buying my, my water mm-hmm. IPA. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that's, that's the interesting and, and fun thing about, um, what Buffalo Wild Wings can bring to people is just more adventurous experiences than maybe you would sign up for if you're just shopping for a six pack at your liquor store. Very that's cool. awesome. Cause I don't know shit about beer, but what I love about beer is going to a place that knows more about, that knows all the, everything about it. Like my, I, I'm a wine guy and I can talk all day about wine, but. I love going to a place where I'm like, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I love beer. I just don't know anything about it. Can you help me out? And going to a place that does that is awesome. Yeah. And that's something we're definitely trying to improve on every day is uh, making sure servers and bartenders have knowledge of, of all the beers they have on tap. I think one interesting stat that, you know, stuck around me, with me forever and uh, I see it presented about every year, but the number never really changes. It's something to the effect of uh, only, 25% of people who enter an on-premise establishment know even what category they're going to drink in when they get there. That yeah. means 75% of people who visit you can be influenced by server or bartender suggestions. So um, that's the, that's one thing that we always strive for is, you know, how can we be educating our uh, staff so that they know as much about not only just uh 
the beers, the new beers that we have on tap and what's local. But um, we've also really refreshed our cocktail program over the last couple of years, making sure it's more classic cocktails and more creative, a little bit more elevated than what you would expect from a Buffalo Wild Wings, moving away a little bit from casual dining and more towards craft and classic cocktails. Uh, And even the wines that we have, you know, uh, because there is an occasion where a Buffalo Wild Wings uh, guest is looking for a a good glass or bottle of wine. So um, you do have the, the ability to influence what that, purchase is going to be or what that consumer is going to drink just by, you know, having a good knowledge base and being able mm-hmm. to have a conversation with the table about what you have on tap or what new cocktail you're shaping. Yeah. That's awesome. Left on, left on my own. I'll just get a Corona and queue up prints. <laughs> yeah. So Jason, this is Kat again. You are a certified Cicerone, correct? Did we talk about that already? Um, it was, it was brought up. Yeah. Okay. So how important to beer service do you think being a certified Cicerone is or having certified Cicerone uh, beer servers on staff? I think having certified beer servers on staff is, is certified Cicerone beer servers on staff is extremely important. Um, you know, we've tried to create our own internal program that I would say is pretty close, but not, not quite on par with the certified beer server program, but, but pretty, pretty darn close. Um, but it, it's, it's extremely important um, just to be able to explain uh, the differences in beer beyond an ale and a lager, which most people probably still don't even know that. Um, it, it, I think it's extremely important to be able to uh, tell people what the flavors they're going to get in beer is. You know, one of the best experiences I've ever had was at a uh, local brew pub in, in Denver uh, where I had ordered my meal and I was asking the serve my server what beer she thinks I should get next. And instead of saying, well, you know, what, what are, what's your favorite style or what kind of mood are you in? She said, um, well, you just ordered this sandwich. And because you ordered this sandwich, this beer would pair best with, uh, with what you're about to eat. So I think you should order that beer. That w- that happened maybe three years ago, but it stuck out to me ever since as like the gold standard of what I'd like to see happen at the Buffalo Wild Wings. If we can tailor your experience by saying, well, you just ordered this beer, so I would just suggest this wing sauce, or you just ordered this sandwich that I would suggest this beer. Um, I think being able to customize that experience for the guests at their table or at the bar top is really what people are looking for when they're going out. They are looking for experience. They are willing to try new things. So to be able to use um, the Cicerone certification program or tips from the Brewers Association or craftbeer.com or or any of those industry resources to really help build up server knowledge, there's... um, I don't know if there's anything more important to a Buffalo Wild Wings uh, experience than doing things like that. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I think um, those experiences really stick out to me too. When you're like, yes, that is how <laughs> service is supposed to be. Yeah. I was blown away. Nobody had ever, I don't think anybody had ever suggested a beer to me in that way and in, in such a customized way that, than that, than that experience. I, it, I, if I could replicate that person, across 1200 restaurants I would not have been (laughs) I hope she got a good tip that day she did (laughs) yeah so you know Jason you've been in the uh you know 
involved with beer for a very long time as a, as a drinker, even before 21, by the sounds of it, uh, you know, in, in the background, in your family, as a professional, as a scholar, you know, Cicerone. So I have a question for you, which, you know, turn up the spice a little bit here, but, you know, here today in 2021, how would you define craft beer? Because we've spent a lot of time talking about craft beer today. And I feel like that's a definition that continues to evolve. So I, I'd love to hear your take on that. Oh, you're, you're putting me on the spot. How would I define craft beer? Thanks, Tim. Um, I guess, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that before. So now I'm stumbling over my words. Um, I, would, I would define craft beer as a liquid experience where a brewer or brewers have put passion into making that product for you um, and are using, I don't even want to say unique and novel ingredients because you can have a craft beer experience. It's not that I, I would, I would probably stop at what I said. It's, mm. it's mm -hmm. a liquid experience where the brewer or brewers have, have put an immense amount of, of, passion and research and experience into uh, delivering that product into your glass. And a craft beer can be, um, you know, the, the easiest drinking of light lagers or 40,000 pounds of donuts into a kettle to make a pastry. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's the, it's the passion and knowledge and creativity and expertise behind that process that makes it a craft beer it's a little bit more than um you know a, a lot of breweries these days where it's working behind a computer to push a button and send a recipe from point a to point b mm -hmm. uh, which which nothing against those recipes because those recipes have been those systems and recipes have been perfected to produce beer at a mass scale and, and they're you know efficient and consistent and uh quality every single time but mm -hmm. yeah I, I i think there's something behind um, you know, that, that passion and creativity to get liquid to glass that defines a craft beer experience. That's I not think, a very good answer. I'm not very no, proud I of think, that answer. But I, I, I think that's a real nice sentiment, you know, rather than um, kind of arbitrary production size figures or, I don't know, even ownership. I, I mean, is that anything you care about? Like, seems like it's, it, it's very important to some people, but seems kind of arbitrary to me if there's passion there that that's all that really matters right yeah yeah i, I that's i would say so awesome well you know what i think that's a real nice place for us to kind of wrap up our conversation and i'm sure you're glad i i finished with a nice easy one down the middle for you there <laughs> guys this was one of the most fun podcasts i've ever been on this was awesome oh, oh awesome thanks, Good one, man. thanks. <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time today and for joining us. And, you know, I look forward to having you on again and speaking about the, uh, the WEC sandwich, was it? Yeah, yeah the WEC sandwich. We'll do, let's, we'll do a history of WEC for our follow-up. Uh, yeah, looking <laughs> forward to that one. The word WEC. <laughs> for now, you know, thank you so much, Jason, and thanks, everyone. Uh, it's, been, it's been real fun. Thanks, thanks. guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of EOD Drinks. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And tell your friends. We want as many people as possible listening to this amazing program. And now for the credits. 
End of Day Drinks is recorded live in New York City at VinePair's headquarters. And it is produced, edited, and engineered by VinePair Station Director, yes, he wears a lot of hats, Keith Beavers. I also want to give a special thanks to VinePair's co-founder, Josh Mallon, to the executive editor, Joanna Schiarino, to our senior editor, Kat Walensky, our senior staff writer, Tim McCurdy, and our associate editor, Katie Brown. And a special shout out to Danielle Greenberg, VinePair's art director who designed the sick logo for this program. The music for End of Day Drinks was produced, written, and recorded by Darby Seaside. I'm VinePair co-founder Adam Teeter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.